Get ready for brilliant people, brilliant ideas, and a regular good time. This is Brilliant Thoughts with Success People editor Tristan Almada, the show that thinks about how personalities, relationships, and communication shape business success. And now here he is, Tristan Almada. I've got the best-selling author of Indistractable and Hooked. You're going to love this one. If you don't know who that is, it's Nir Eyal. We're going to be talking about why your task list sucks. We're going to be talking about ADD. We're going to be talking about getting indistractable and getting to focus so you can actually accomplish what you've been wanting to do. So listen in, get your paper and pen ready or your computer, whatever you write with. You're going to love this one. I did. Welcome back to another episode of Brilliant Thoughts, a success magazine podcast. And today I have Nir Eyal. Nir, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much, Tristan. Great to be here with you. Dude, a lot of our listeners know who you are. So I, I often talk about you. So we've got, if you're watching part of this, right, we've got Indistractable and then we've got Hooked. And you know, I've read both of them. Let's start with Indistractable. You probably get this question asked a lot, but why write Indistractable? Yeah, so uh, the same reason I write all my books, I write books that I need. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I was I, I looked for a book on this topic and um, the ones that I found uh, all told me the same thing, which was get rid of your technology, uh, stop using social media, uh, get rid of your iPhone. Thanks, stupid. I can't do that. <laughs> like, that's not helpful. Dude, I know. I, know. So, um, I really wanted to, to figure out how we can get the best out of our technology without letting it get the best of us. That's what I was looking for because I, I found that I was getting crazy distracted in my life, right? That um, uh, I, I, would, I would sit down to, to do my work and then 20, 30, 45 minutes later, I was doing everything but the thing I said I was going to do. Uh, I would be with my family and find myself incessantly wanting to check my device. Um, uh, I would say I was going to eat right. I say I was going to exercise, but I didn't and I wouldn't. And so I just got sick of it. And there was, there was, there was one moment with my daughter that really kind of set me off on this journey where we had this, um, this beautiful day plan, just some daddy daughter time. And I remember we had this book of activities where one of the questions in the book was to ask each other this question. The question was, if you could have any superpower, mm. what superpower would you want? And I remember the question verbatim but I can't tell you what my daughter said because <laughs> in that moment, for whatever reason, I got distracted by something on my phone that I just had to check for a quick sec. And when I looked up from my device, she was gone. She had gotten the very clear message that I was sending that whatever was on my phone was more important than she was. And that's when I knew that I had to re-evaluate uh, my relationship with distraction. And originally I thought the problem was all about technology, right? Because was isn't this to blame? Like this is the thing that distracted me. So therefore it must be the technology. But the more I dove into this topic, I saw that this is what we call just the proximal cause. It's not the root cause of the problem. But I didn't understand that until I really dove into the psychological literature around why we get distracted in the first place. Dude, all right. So tell me about the discovery when, when you missed what the answer was from your daughter. Did it take some reflection or did that happen instantly? Was that something that you did at night and you're like, damn, or tell me about that part. To be honest, it had happened several times before okay. <laughs> and I just didn't pay attention to it. It would happen in various areas of my life until I think that that moment was when I said, okay, what the hell's going on here? Like 
my, my daughter left the room. I didn't even notice that she left and she went to go play with some toy outside. And it just kind of bugged me. Like, you know, I, I, one of my values is to be an available present father. I, I don't want her to remember me as someone who was staring at their screen when they said they would be fully present. And I remember actually, um, I have a good friend whose daughter is of similar age and my, our kids play together. And I remember telling, um, my friend, this story and, um, and how bad I felt about it. And I wanted to see like, what was he doing to deal with this problem? And he later asked his daughter the same question, just yeah. because it, you know, he was curious. He said, Hey honey, what, what superpower would you want? Mm-hmm. And she answered him and he made sure he was fully present. Not like me. And he, he, he uh, asked her this question and she said that the superpower that she would most want would be the power to talk to animals. The power oh. to talk to animals. Oh, that's very interesting, right? He's having this good discussion with her. Yeah. And uh, she, he says, well, what, why do you want the power to talk to animals? Yeah. And she, she looks at him and says, so that when you and mommy are on your phones, I'll have someone to talk to. Oh, damn, dude. Oh, <laughs> so I realized, you know, it wasn't just me that was having this problem, right? Lots of people were having this problem of feeling uh, like we are distracted, feeling like we're not doing what we say we're going to do in all aspects of life, not just technology related, but anytime that we say we're going to do one thing, I think this is such a fascinating question. And in fact, when I started doing the research around the book, I learned that Plato, the Greek philosopher, 2,500 years ago, was asking the same exact question. He called it akrasia in the Greek, the tendency to do things against our better interest. And he asked, why is it that despite knowing what to do, why don't we do it, right? We all basically know what to do. Who doesn't know that if you want to lose weight, eat right and exercise? Do do you really need a diet book to tell you? (laughs) We know. Who doesn't know that if you want to have good relationships with your family, you got to be fully present with people. Who doesn't know that if you want to excel at your job, you got to do the work, especially the hard stuff that other people don't want to do. So the problem, especially today, where if you don't know how to do something, Google it. The answers are all there. We know what to do. What we don't know is how to follow through. How do we stop getting in our own way? How do we stop getting distracted? So that's why I think that becoming indistractable is this macro skill. I call it the skill of the century because there is no area of your life that is not affected by and dependent upon your ability to control your attention. If you if you can't control your attention, you can't read those books that you've been putting off. You can't exercise. You can't uh, make sure that you're eating right. You can't be fully present with your family. You can't do the work you have to do if you can't focus your attention. This is truly how we choose our life. It's so true. The power to focus is is probably the the one thing that we all need in order to get to where we want to get to with our families, work, anything. So right. where, where do we start? Where, where yeah. is it that we actually can start this realistically? Because it's not throwing away our devices, dude. I, no. I don't want that. So I, that's why I loved your book. I was like, okay, that's not the solution. Yeah. And it's, it's not helpful, frankly, because look, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I did a lot of experimentation uh, to figure out the answer to this problem. And at first, I kind of had this knee-jerk reaction that many of us do is, oh, you know, this is distracting me. This is the problem. It's a technology. Let me let me throw it away. And so I did that. I took the advice of these books that preach, you know, digital detoxing and all this stuff. And I got rid of my iPhone. I got rid of my computer. I got a, uh, uh, I bought a, um, a word processor off of eBay, one of these things from the 1990s with no internet connection. I went to Alibaba and I got myself a uh, one of these flip phones. Remember like we used to use in the 90s, those flip uh, yeah. phones that all it does is send text messages and receive phone calls. It's I terrible. did that. 
And I said, okay, I, I, I'm no more apps, no more Facebook, no more Instagram, no more web browser. Like when I need to work, I'm just going to use these tech, these Dude. old technologies without an internet connection. Cause that's the problem, right? It's all Facebook's fault. That's why we're distracted. Yeah. And you know, I would sit down at my desk and I'd say, okay, now I'm going to write. I'm not going to get distracted. Here I go. I'm going to focus. But um, there's that book on the bookshelf that I've been meaning to read. Maybe let me, let me just, just look at one chapter in there or, or look at my desk. Oh boy, what a mess. Let, let me just clean this up real quick. Or the trash needs to be taken out. And I would still get distracted <laughs> even without the technology, because this is something we always have struggled with as a species, right? If Plato was talking about it 2,500 years ago, it can't be because of the technology. So to answer your question, where do we start? We start with the very word distraction. Uh, by understanding what that word really means. And the best way to understand what that word means is to understand the opposite. What's the antonym of that word? If you ask most people, what's the opposite of distraction? They'll tell you it's focus, right? I don't want to be distracted. I want to be focused, right? Not exactly. The opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction, if you look at the origin of the word, is traction. That both traction and distraction come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. And you'll notice that both words end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action. So traction, by definition, is any action that pulls you towards what you said you were going to do, mm -hmm. things that you do with intent, things that move you closer to your values and help you become the kind of person you want to become. The opposite of traction is distraction. Distraction is any action that pulls you further away from what you said you were going to do, further away from your goals, further away from your values, further away from becoming the kind of person you want to become. So this isn't just semantics. This is really important because I would argue any action can be traction or distraction based on one thing. And that one thing is intent, forethought, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. The time you plan to waste is not wasted time, as Dorothy Parker said. So if you want to go on Facebook, if you want to watch YouTube videos, if you want to watch sports on TV, there's nothing wrong with any of that, right? Stop saying it's melting your brains and it's so bad for you. Ridiculous. The scientific evidence does not support that crap. If you want to do these things, do it, do it. You can turn distraction into traction by making time for it. So if you have time in your day for those things, plan for it ahead of time, it's traction, right? Enjoy it without guilt. Conversely, and this is a much bigger problem. You know, we tend to think of distraction. We think about the media. We think about uh, our phones. We think about all these things that take us off track. Yeah. But if you actually look at the studies, the number one source of distraction is not these things that are obvious distractions, right? If you're at work and you're playing Candy Crush, that's obvious that you're distracted, right? Yeah. What tends to be a much bigger source of distraction is when distraction tricks you into not even realizing you're distracted. Let me give an example. Ooh. For years... I would come into work, I would sit down at my desk and I'd say, okay, I've got that big important thing on my to-do list. By the way, we can talk about why to-do lists are one of the worst things you can do for your productivity. We can get back to that later. Oh, yeah. I would look at my to-do list and I'd say, okay, I've got that big important project. I'm gonna get started right away. Here I go right now. Nothing's gonna get in my way. I'm not gonna get distracted. Let me start. But first, let me check some email, right? Let me just scroll those Slack channels. Let me do a few of those things on my to-do list that I can just, the easy stuff that I can just knock out real quick to get a sense of, you know, that I'm working hard, right? And what I didn't realize is that by doing that, I was allowing distraction to trick me because I was doing the urgent and the easy work as opposed to the hard and important work that I had to do to move my life and career forward. So just because something is a work-related task doesn't mean it's not a distraction. 
That's the most dangerous kind of distraction because people think, oh, email is work-related. I'm checking email. I'm being productive. Well, if it's not that thing you said you were going to do, even email can be a distraction and more so because you don't even realize it's happening to you. Interesting. All right. So, dude, there's a lot to unpack there. And let's let's start with what I'm I'm thinking here when it comes to distraction, because the very first thing I think of, you hear this too, is our ability to categorize distraction as ADHD or ADD. What where does that all fit in? Yeah. So about three percent of the population has ADHD. Three percent. Three. Okay. That's like real right there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a well-known statistic. And what about everybody else that says, oh, it's just ADHD? Because I hear that a lot. Everybody else. So the the amount of people. So unfortunately, society today, we love to medicalize and moralize. We like being victims, even when we don't deserve to be victims. Now, real victims deserve help. But don't victimize yourself as having something wrong with you when you don't. Okay, if, if you actually have ADHD, if you have gone to a clinician and been diagnosed, by the way, there's a great uh, Netflix special called, a uh, Netflix uh, documentary called Take Your Pills that you should watch <laughs> about why even the science of ADHD is eh, not so settled as many people want to think. But let's, let's, put that, the, the, let's put that aside for now. Mm-hmm. If you have an actual diagnosis, the techniques that I describe in, in uh, Indistractable are, are also helpful to you because look, the first step, the first line of defense is always non-pharmaceutical solutions. Right. Always. As opposed to popping a pill, first thing we want to do is to figure out can we handle this without pharmaceutical solutions? Because all pharmaceutical solutions have some kind of uh, of side effects, right? You know, the, the the medications that people take for ADHD, the, you know, these these are amphetamines. These are these are potent drugs. So the first thing we want to do, no matter if we have ADHD or not, is look for non-pharmaceutical solutions. Now, of course, if you have a real diagnosis, you may need additional assistance. But for 97% of us who don't have ADHD, we're just distracted, right? We're not addicted. Stop calling yourself addicted, right? The vast majority of us are not addicted. We don't have anything wrong with us. And we shouldn't moralize and medicalize normal human behavior. Again, people have been distracted forever. This is not a new problem. And this is something that we can deal with if we know how. The problem is there are so many people out there who have an incentive to keep you distracted, right? The media Mm. will never tell you, hey, you've had enough. They're never going to do that. Netflix is never going to say, hey, you know what? You should go have a life. Your favorite sports team is never going to say, you know what? You should stop watching the game and go spend time with your kids. Never going to happen, right? So if we don't take responsibility for this, even though this isn't our fault, you didn't invent Facebook, you didn't invent the internet, you didn't invent all the distractions out there, not your fault. They are your responsibility because nobody's coming to save you. We have to save ourselves. Dude, yes. All right. So why is it that you find a lot of people gravitate towards being a victim? Is it easier to just say, oh, I have this. I Here's what I have. It's categorized and that's, uh, uh, that's me. Why is it that yeah. we do that? I don't want to minimize people who actually have no, a disorder. Me, right? me if you either. actually have, yeah, if you have a disorder, like- I'm not talking about those yeah. because- those, those exist. I'm talking the about the ones who don't. <laughs> yes. Right. And, and we hear people using this in casual conversation, right? Oh, I'm so ADHD or I'm so OCD or I'm addicted to this or my kids won't stop doing that because they're, you know, yeah. they're addicted to one thing or another. We need to stop that language. Uh, and the reason they, to answer your question, why do we do that? We love simple stories. We love simple stories. Our brains are cognitive misers. They try and conserve as much energy and thinking is hard. 
right? Thinking people do not like to think none of us do. And so if I can attach a clear cause and effect, a good guy, a bad guy, right? That's what I'm going to do. As opposed to, you know, real life isn't Star Wars. Real life isn't, you know, forces of evil versus the forces of light. There's no such thing. All of us have these conflicting natures. All of us uh, have have dual uh, dual sides and all stories are complicated. There's nuance there. So the real answer is much is one that we don't want to face. We don't, we want to say, oh, it's Mark Zuckerberg and those big tech companies doing it to me. Mm, not so much. <laughs> Look, my first book was hooked. I know all their techniques. I know all their tricks, all their mind hacks. I wrote the freaking book on how they get you hooked. And I will tell you their techniques are good, very good. They're not that good. We're not, you know, injecting Instagram. We're not freebasing Facebook. We're not snorting <laughs> Snapchat. We can do something about this problem. We're talking about little apps on our phones, people. You know, That's stop so talking true. about it like it's cocaine. It's not cocaine. It's these behaviors, these distractions. They're not addictions. Mm-hmm. For the vast majority of people, they are simply distractions. But think about what that means, right? If it's not an addiction, if I can't blame someone else for it, ooh, now I got to look inside. Now I got to change my life. Oh, that's no fun. I don't want to do that. <laughs> right? That's a, that's a lot harder, I think, at that point, because that goes back to taking responsibility. And a lot of us aren't, aren't really fully there yet because we, we love to blame other people, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's much easier because why? When I blame other people, I don't have to do anything. <laughs> right. Let's let, let let the politicians figure it out. Let let them fix it. Right. Uh, uh, let make make the companies change. Well, if you hold your breath, you're going to suffocate. Why would we wait? I'm not saying that there isn't room for legislation. Of course, I think, you know, social media probably deserves more regulation. Yeah. And but I'll tell you one thing. Regulation will never absolve you of ways to screw yourself. There will <laughs> always be ways for you to punch yourself in the face with one behavior or another, whether it's too much news, too much booze, too much football, too much Facebook, you're going to find a way to take yourself off track unless you know how to be indistractable. All right. So let's say we do a to-do list going back to that. And because that's how we like to tackle things. We're like, Ooh, Ooh, I know what I need to do today. Let's do this, 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 and this. All right. I'm ready to go. Why does it, why doesn't that work? Okay. So we talked about traction. We talked yeah. about distraction. Yep. What we didn't get to are the triggers. Tr- there are two kinds of triggers. So let's, let's cover this real quick. The first kind of trigger is what we all kind of the usual suspects. When people say they got distracted, they typically talk about, uh, you know, I, I, I meant to be with my kids and then my phone rang, right? There was that trigger or I, I was working and then my boss interrupted me, right? It's some kind of external trigger, something in our outside environment. That's what we tend to blame, but it turns out studies find that that's only 10% of the time we get distracted. Only 10% of the time that people are distracted by their phones, mm-hmm. are they distracted because of an external trigger, some kind of ping, ding, or ring? Okay. So what's the other 90%? The other 90% of the time we get distracted, we get distracted not because of an external trigger, we get distracted because of what we call an internal trigger. What is an internal trigger? An internal trigger is an uncomfortable emotional state that we seek to escape from. Loneliness, boredom, fatigue, stress, anxiety. These are these uncomfortable sensations that lead to 90% of the times that we go off track. So the first step to becoming indistractable is to master those internal triggers or they will become your master. This is where we have to start. We have to start with what is that sensation? What is that thing that I'm feeling that's taking me off track? So that's step number one. Step number two is making time for traction. 
Okay, so this gets to your question around to-do lists. Mm. One of the things you've got to do if you're going to become indistractable is to plan your day. Plan your day. I can't tell you how many people I've worked with over the years who tell me how distracted they are and how they don't seem to get things done and how this happened and the Twitter this and Facebook that and oh my God, all these things and work wanted this and my boss wanted this and my kids wanted that. And then I say, well, what did you get distracted from? And they show me their to-do list, right? Oh, look at all the things I didn't get done. I said, no, no, no. What did you plan to do with your time? Show me your calendar. And you know what they show me nine times out of 10? What? An, a, a beautiful, pristine calendar that's perfectly white and blank. Of course. <laughs> if you don't plan your time, somebody is going to plan it for you. There are too many interests out there between the commercial interests of the media or your boss or your kids, somebody is going to take that time if you don't decide for yourself how you're going to spend it. So mm. you have got to plan your day. If you're a child or retired, okay, you don't have to do this. Everybody else, you cannot complain that you got distracted unless you can tell me what you got distracted from. So you have to plan your day. Now, why do to-do lists suck? To-do lists suck because they have no constraints. If you just write things down on a to-do list and then run your life based on that to-do list, you can always add more, right? I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do that. Just keep adding stuff to the to-do list. But without a constraint, you never finish, right? Because you can always add more to it. Whereas with a time box calendar, and this is a technique I teach you in the book, Indistractable, you have a natural constraint. The constraint is the same 24 hours, right? Yeah. So I don't care if you're Bill Gates or Warren Buffett, or it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much money you have. You can always make more money. You can't make more time. We all have the same constraints of that time. So by making a time box calendar, you are forcing yourself to make a trade-off. Do I want to spend time with my kids or do I want to spend time on Facebook? Do I want to spend time working or do I want to watch a game on TV? You're mm -hmm. forcing yourself to make that trade-off. And there's nothing wrong with spending your time doing anything you want to do as long as it's planned for in advance. Now it becomes traction and anything else is distraction. All right. So how do we identify what the priorities are or should be in our life? Yeah. Because we get to talk to a lot of older people too. And they're like, oh, I wish I would have. Right. So how do we avoid that? What, how do I identify the priorities? Great question. And, and so first of all, I don't care what you do with your time. Okay. I want people to spend their time however they want. So if you say to yourself, I want to play video games all day. Great. I'm not going to tell you not to do that. If you want to go for walks in the park or paint or pray or meditate, whatever you want to do, I want you to do. But how do you decide? This is your question. How do we decide what we want to do with our time? Yeah. For that, we have to go to our values. What are values? Values, I define them as attributes of the person you want to become. Values are attributes of the person you want to become. So you have to ask yourself, how would the person I want to become spend their time? And I, I give folks these three life domains to help guide this question, right? So when you look at your calendar, okay, I, you know, a lot of times people, uh, I think they make the mistake of having vision boards and, you know, the regrets of the dying yeah. and they look for what's my five-year <laughs> plan. And I, I say, don't do that. Okay. Let's start with tomorrow. Let's start with just tomorrow. How would the person you want to become spend their time tomorrow with these three life domains. The three life domains are you, you're at the center of these three life domains. If you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of other people, you can't make the world better. So how would you take care of yourself? And what does that include? It includes, you know, time for rest. You know, we all know how important sleep is. We tell our kids they got to get to bed on time, but do you have a bedtime yourself, <laughs> right? Is it on your calendar? Do you have time for exercise if that's important to you? Do you have time to read if that's important to you? 
put that on your calendar, including time for watching Netflix, put it on your schedule, make a time for it. Yeah. The next life domain is relationships. You know, in uh, the Western world, we have this crisis of loneliness. It's a really serious problem. It's as dangerous as smoking and obesity, the, the study's fine. So we have to make time for our most important relationships, not only with our kids and our spouse, with our family, but also with our friends, right? Making time for regular social interactions is incredibly important. Have that time on your schedule. Make a appointments with your best friends to make sure you get to check in with each other. Then finally, the work domain. Now, the work domain is the last life domain, but for most people, it's how we spend most of our time. What I want you to do is to separate that into two categories. We have what we call reactive work, and then we have reflective mm -hmm. work. Reactive work is how most people spend their day, reacting to emails, reacting to notifications, reacting to phone calls, all day reacting to stuff, running around, letting other people dictate their time for them based on their reaction. And it feels like we're victims there, but actually many people like that status. They like being told what to do. Why? Again, because then they don't have to think about what yeah. they're doing. They just respond all day. They react. Reflective work, on the other hand, is the kind of work that can only be done without distraction. Planning, strategizing, thinking, for God's sakes, requires us to do so without distraction. So you've got to put at least some time in your day. Now, I understand many people, their job is to respond, right? If you work in a call center, if you're in healthcare, your job is reacting. I get that. But yeah. everybody, everybody has to put some time in their day for reflective work. Now, some jobs are 100% reflective. If you're a, a software engineer, your job is 100% reflective, right? You've got to sit and think and concentrate or you can't do your work well. We know the number one source of bugs in computer code is distraction that cause people to lose focus and then make mistakes. Yeah. So you have to plan that time for uninterrupted reflective work time. So now you have a calendar. So when you have that just one day, just do tomorrow. It's all I want you to do. Just time box one day. And, and, and I'll give you some links for the show notes as well that people got. I built some tools to make this super easy for people. They're all free. Heck yeah. When you do that, now you can look at your schedule and you can say, ah, everything I just put in is traction. Anything else is distraction. Mm. For the first time, you'll know what distraction really is. And the, the added benefit of this is that people who do this, people who actually keep a time box calendar rather than running their life on a to-do list, they actually accomplish more. They get more done because the person who uses the to-do list, and by the way, I'm not against writing things down. That's fine. What I'm against is not making that next step of putting it on your schedule. The people who make the to-do list, the problem that they always have is that because it's infinite, because they, they, there's no constraints, they never get that amazing feeling of relief saying, ah, I did what I said I was going to do. Yeah. So that when they come home from work at the end of the day and they just want to play with their kids or watch Netflix or you know watch YouTube videos or go on, uh, on Instagram, they feel guilty. They feel like, oh, I should always be doing something else. Whereas an indistractable person, that's exactly what we plan to do. So when I go on Instagram, I love social media. It's fun. Yeah. I don't have any guilt. That's what I plan to do with my time because I did what I said I was going to do for the entire day. And it goes back to what you were saying at the beginning with intent, right? Exactly. exactly. Which, is, which is key because a lot of us don't have the intent. We're very reactive. Right. We're letting those internal triggers, we, we use it when we're bored, when we're lonely, when we're lost, when we're uncertain, when we're stressed, that's when they get you. So you've got to make sure you're using it on your schedule, not theirs. I love that, man. And the to-do list, putting it into an actual schedule. So it's, it, it's finite, right? It, there's an end to it. There's a, I love that part. So thank you for that. Let's go into decision fatigue because 
I hear that word often. And I want to know what you think of decision fatigue. Does that play into being indistractable? It does. Yeah. So there's there's a few things there. So when it comes to decision fatigue, uh, there's, there's, there's a few problems. One is its effect on our schedule. So the problem is when you use a, when you run your life on a to-do list, by the way, part of the problem is that you don't know when you're going to do what. So when you move from task to task, when you're trying to measure yourself based on how many cute little boxes you checked off, you have to decide with every task what you're going to do next. And as you as your mood fluctuates, right, as you feel bored, lonely, stressed, indecisive, you'll do the stuff that gets that feels easier, right? So you end up doing the easy and the urgent at the expense of the important and hard work you have to do. So that's that's a huge trap. So you're eliminating decisions because you have decided in advance what you're going to do with your time. So when you have a time box calendar as opposed to a, a to-do list, you take out that decision-making. You know what you are going to do, right? So what I want people to do is to stop measuring themselves based on how many cute little boxes they checked off. That's not <laughs> the right metric. The right metric is one thing, and that is, did I do what I said I was going to do for as long as I said I would without distraction? I didn't say finish. I didn't say finish. I said, did I do what I said I was going to do for as long as I said I would without distraction? So if you say, I'm going to work on that big project for 20 minutes, it doesn't matter if you finished. It matters if you worked on it without distraction because now you're starting to get feedback. One of the reasons that we have such uh, have what we call um, a planning fallacy, which tells us that on average, people take three times longer to finish a task than they estimate. Part of the reason this happens is because when we do things on a to-do list, there's no feedback mechanism. We have no idea how long things take us, right? Sure. So we can procrastinate, we can delay, we can get distracted. Whereas when you say, I'm just going to work on this for 20 minutes, that's it. 20 minutes, I'm going to focus on it without distraction. Now we can assess, hey, I said I was going to work on that project. I did it for 20 minutes. How far did I get? Oh, I got about 20% through it. Okay, well, that means I'm going to need five more increments of that length of time to finish this project. So now there's a feedback mechanism that you never get with the to-do list. True. So that's that's a, a, a big, big reason why this is such a better technique. And then finally, when it comes to decision fatigue, many people have decision fatigue because they are slipping in decisions throughout their day. They're deciding on, they're, they're looking for cracks of time in their day to think. Uh. That's not how we work. We're really bad at doing it that way. Whereas low performers, that's what they do. They try and make their life decisions with like five minute increments or 30 second increments. Yeah. High performers make time to think. They make time to make these decisions. So they have time, back to what we were talking about earlier about reflective work time. Decision fatigue doesn't become a problem if you make time for it. Decision fatigue happens when all day long you're making decisions sporadically, right? As opposed to what high performers do, they say, I'm not going to think about that right now because I have time to think later. And so that lowers your stress levels. That lets you know, I don't need to figure this out right now. Time is coming. There's time in my schedule when I can worry about this. That's good. And you do notice that with with high performers. It's interesting. And and high achievers too, both in relationships or anything else. Very, very true. Which leads me into burnout because it's it's a common question and... And then a phrase too. again, going back to people say, oh, you know, I'm burned out or I'm just, I'm just ADHD or I mean, same thing. What do you, what do you feel about burnout? Is that something that, that people overuse as a phrase, as a word, or 
Is it really happening? What What are you noticing out there? Yeah, yeah. So, so burnout is not a clinical condition, uh, unlike ADHD, which which does have a diagnosis. And I think actually burnout is is very very common. And I'll tell you why it happens. So there there have have been studies that show that there is a type of workplace environment that actually leads to depression, anxiety, as well as burnout. And that type of work environment has a confluence of two factors. Ooh. Okay, those two factors are high expectation and low control. That's what we find. This is a study published by Stansfield and Candy from uh, Oxford University. High expectation, low control, okay? By the way, if people have high expectations and high control, no problem. That's when people rise to the, to, to the expectation or they, they, they rise to the challenge. They do their best work when they have high control. Burnout occurs when we have high expectations placed upon us, but low control to do anything about the situation. Got it. So it's, it's that type of situation. And why does that happen? And why is it perpetuated by how we spend our time and attention? Because when we feel like we are constantly distracted, mm-hmm. like our calendar, like our time is not our own, like we can't yeah. freaking sit and think for 30 seconds without a constant interruption, either because we are allowing that to happen because of internal triggers or because of the workplace environment might be full of external triggers. Mm. We don't feel that agency that control that we need to get things done. But the, the expectations haven't changed. Interesting, man. So what we find, so there's a whole section in the book on how to build an indistractable workplace. And I profile several companies that are indistractable and how much better work-life balance is there, how much happier people are there because they control their time. That's how we increase. It's not that we need to lower expectations. It's that we need to increase control starting with how you control your time and attention. So it's not something that you do just by yourself. I mean, this is something that does incorporate corporate culture. I mean, we should do everything we can do as individuals first and foremost, but I do show folks how we can change corporate culture as well uh, to to help build an indistractable work environment. I like that, man. Control time and attention. That, that That is the key. So then let's shift a little bit. And I want to talk more along the lines of really understanding what to do with that time you mentioned with work. So you went to you, relationships and work. You said reactive work and reflective work. Can we talk about reflective work? If I'm going to dive deep into that, what would that look like so that I can use that time wisely? Yeah. So it's whatever you need to do with that you can only do without distraction. So whether it's planning, whether it's strategizing, whether it's thinking, I mean, if you want a leg up on people in your industry, no matter what industry you're in, make time to think, because I bet you almost nobody in your industry is doing it. True. (laughs) Right? How many people set time aside in their day to just think? And those who don't, by the way, those who do are high performers. Those who don't tend to be the people who are running real fast. They're always busy but they're running fast in the wrong direction because they've made no time to to think. And you can only think without distraction. You cannot think constructively. You can't be creative. You can't do your best work if you're constantly letting yourself get uh, get distracted. That's a secret weapon, man. So tell me what time of the day does that fall up? Is that in your calendar? Morning, afternoon, evening? When is that time to think? So we used to think that there was a lot of credibility to what we call chronotypes. People say, I'm a morning person. I'm an evening yeah. person. I'm a night owl. I'm a this and that. Turns out it's a lot less important than we used to think. Uh, there is a slight effect, but it's much less than people think, unless 
They think they are those things. Okay. <laughs> so I kind of shy away from saying, oh, you want to do your best work in the morning. I used to think for many years, oh, I have to do my best work only in the morning. And then I, I, I moved to Singapore where I'm calling for, from now and yeah. uh, it's eight in the morning here. And I, I had to switch things up because that's the only time when I can talk to the States given the time zones. Yep. And I found actually I can concentrate just t- just fine in any time of the day as long as I use these techniques, right? Maybe I'm a little bit more groggy or tired here and there, but it tends to be more of an excuse than anything else. The idea here is to experiment, right? You want to be a scientist. A scientist makes a hypothesis, runs an experiment, looks at the results, and then runs another experiment. So for some people, yeah, doing their reflective work first thing in the morning works for them. Other people, they got to drop the kids off to school and they can only do the reflective work in the in the evening, maybe after work. So it's not so much about the right time of day. It's about planning that time of day, holding it sacred, and then seeing how it works out. You can always move it in the next day, as long as you don't move it in that day, right? Once you make your time box calendar, you stick with it. Yeah. It's for the next day, you can change it and make it easier to follow for yourself. I like that. Are there anything that, this is just for you personal, just yeah. so people can, can see how you think. Is there anything in your calendar where you're blocking time, family, for you, for work, that's that to you is extremely important? What does that look like? So people understand, ah, got it. Spend time with the family. What does that look like? Spend time yeah. with self-reflecting. Is it reading? Is it podcast research? What does that look like? Yeah. So my, my day, you know, every week I sit down on Sunday evening and I make my schedule for the week ahead. I look at the week that passed. And I find ways to make the week ahead easier to follow. Cool. Uh, so sometimes it'll be, oh, you know what? I've got that meeting that's coming up on Thursday, but that uh, cuts into my writing time. So let me move that time to another place. You can adjust the calendar any way you want for the week ahead. Not not for in the day, but for the day ahead. You can totally do that. Uh, that takes me now about 15 minutes. It's, it's something that only 15 minutes a week, and it's it's a game changer. Uh, part of what really changed my life is uh, is my domestic uh, happiness. So I've been married for over 20 years now. And for years, my wife and I would get into fights about, uh, you know, how I wasn't, uh, taking my share of, of family duties, right? Like my wife would say, Hey, you know, the, the trash needs to be taken out. Why don't you take out the trash or our daughter needs to be fed? What, what, what are you doing? Why don't you feed her? And I would always say to her, I would say, honey, if you need me to do something, just tell me, That's right. What's good. the problem? Just, just tell me. And what I didn't realize is that I was giving her yet another job. Now she was my <laughs> camp counselor, right? Now she was my boss. That's a yet another job. So we yeah. don't do that anymore. What do we do? We sit down every week. We do what's called a schedule sync. And we go over each other's calendars. It takes us maybe 10 minutes. We do it super quickly. Okay, on Thursday, you need to drop our daughter off here and you're making lunch then. And da, da, da. we're just, we go through that calendar and we know where we're going to be and we know what our responsibilities are. So there's no more guessing. We just took our household responsibilities. I know what I have to do and when I have to do it so that she knows when she can do what she needs to do. And that has changed our marriage. I can't even tell you. It's so simple. So few people do it. And it is an absolute game changer. By the way, you can also do this with your boss. So when you have a time box calendar, you have a physical artifact. You have something you can show other people. So you know one of the worst pieces of personal productivity advice out there, and we've all heard, is if you don't want to get distracted, you have to tell people no. You have to learn how to tell people no. Haven't we all heard that? That's a secret yeah, to productivity. I've tell people no. What kind of stupid advice is that? <laughs> You're gonna that's a, the kind of advice that only a, a professor in some ivory tower could could give. Nobody with a boss can yeah. look at the person who cuts their checks and say, mm, no, that's stupid. 
don't do that. You're going to get fired. <laughs> true. Here's what, so what do you do instead? You don't say no. You say when. How do you do that? You take every week, you set, you set aside a little bit of time with your boss, maybe 10 minutes, say, boss, can I, can I just sit down with you Monday morning? I want to review my week ahead with you. You show them your time box calendar, okay? You say, here's the meeting you wanted me to go to. Here's the pro- I'm going to spend two hours working on this project. I'm going to spend an hour on email, et cetera. You know, big chunks of time. You don't need to tell them down to the minute, but okay, big chunks of time. Here's how I'm going to spend my week. Here's my time box calendar. Now, you see this list here? I made this list of things that you've asked for me to do. Yeah. that I'm having trouble fitting into my schedule. Can you help me prioritize? Ooh. Right? I'm not saying no, I'm saying when. What you're doing is you're giving your manager the opportunity to help prioritize your day. And here's what's going to happen. Invariably, they're going to say, ah, you know what? That thing on the list, that's really important. But that meeting that you have on your calendar, that's way less important. Don't go to that meeting. I'd really yeah. prefer you work on that task. So you're helping them reprioritize your tasks bosses will kiss the ground you walk on if you do this for them, okay? Because they don't want to micromanage you, but they're dying to know what you're doing all day, right? Mm-hmm. I've, I've started two companies. I'm telling you, we want to know what's going on. What are you doing? Well, you but put we it in perspective too. Exactly. I think that's, that's a key because we don't know what we don't know. Exactly. And when we have that sync, this is called a schedule sync. When you have that schedule sync, whether it's with your spouse or whether it's with your boss, that's transparency that you mentioned. Exactly. That's the key word. Now we learn that a lot of things that we thought were important actually weren't that important, but the things that we didn't realize were important were very important. And we can put that into our schedule. And the the added benefit is that now our boss knows when we are doing our reflective work time and when we cannot be interrupted, right? So don't, you You told me you need me to work on this big project. I'm going to do it for two hours on Thursday. I share that with you. That's not the time to call me because I'm going to be doing focused work for that time. Dude, that reflective work time is, I, I love that. That's one thing I took away from the book. I was like, damn, that's, that's good. By the way, I added that after I was like, and then I started being more aware of people not having it. And then I looked as like, interesting. I've had this before, and then it's exactly what you said. Most people out there, the high performers, do have this time to think. It's like just quiet time, think. Yep. 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 Very, very interesting. All right. A couple more questions for you. Sure. And then and then we'll let you go, man. It's it's morning over there. What do you uh is that coffee? Are you drinking coffee, coffee or water? Man. All right, cool. Oh, no, this is definitely coffee. <laughs> I've got uh I've got C4. Somebody told me to drink some C4. It's like first time trying it. So I'm trying it. I don't even know what the hell this is, but there we go. <laughs> don't ask. <laughs> don't ask. It's just, it kind of tastes good. All right. So what are you working on now that yeah. that's, that's exciting for you? So I, I'm really on a mission to help make the world indistractable that uh, I think this is the skill of the century. And I'm particularly concerned about our kids, because if you think the world is distracting now, just wait a few years. <laughs> it's only going to become a more distracting place. So we have got to teach our kids how to manage their time and attention. Uh, And the best way we do that is by setting an example, right? So as parents, we have to remember that kids have, uh, they come pre-installed with hypocrisy detection antennas, right? They're always (laughs) scanning around and looking for when we are being hypocrites. So we've got to set a good example. We have to become indistractable ourselves in order to teach them how to become indistractable. Ooh. So my mission right now is, is to, to, to help folks because the current state of affairs of sitting back and letting someone else try and fix this problem for you 
is is untenable. We're we're going to lose our generation. We're going to lose our our life. We're going to look back in regret and say, "What was I doing with my time?" And I used to say, you know, I'm kind of I, I'm I'm kind of saying this in real time here. I used to say anyone can do this, mm-hmm. and um, now I'm not so sure. You know, I'm starting to think that there's going to be a real bifurcation between people who let their time and attention be controlled and manipulated by others, and people who stand up and say, "No, I am indistractable." What's the and difference? I'm not sure. I, I, well, here's the thing. So a distracted person gets distracted by something mm-hmm. and they let themselves get distracted by the same things again and again and again. And there's a wonderful Poela Coela quote. He said, a mistake repeated more than once is a decision. Mm-hmm. A mistake repeated more than once is a decision. So indistractable people also get distracted from time to time. Hey, I still get distracted from time to time. I have something on my calendar and something happens and I didn't, I, I went off track, but here's the difference. An indistractable person knows why they got distracted. There's only three reasons for any distraction. Either it's an internal trigger, an external trigger, or a planning problem. That's it. Only three potential reasons. So they know why they got distracted, and they do something about it so it doesn't happen again. They say, okay, you got me this time, distraction, but it's not going to happen again. They take steps today to prevent getting distracted tomorrow. A distracted person, a distracted person keeps getting distracted by the same things again and again and again. Okay, email got me again. Facebook got me again. Netflix got me. How many times before you say enough, (laughs) right? I've got to take control of this. Why do you think, well, what do you think the difference is between the person who is distracted and the person who finally says, whoa, I'm going to take ownership of this. I am being distracted. I want to change. What's, what is the difference? Is there, is there a nuance in the actual individual? Okay. So Part of it is the information, okay? So I just, you know, it took me five years of research to know what actually works to fight this problem. It took me five years to write. Part of the reason it took me so long is because I kept getting distracted before I knew these techniques. <laughs> <laughs> but once I learned these techniques, they changed my life. I mean, I'm, I'm 43 years old. I've never been in better shape. I have a six pack for the first time in my, I, I used to be clinically obese. Never really? had, And it, it's not because I'm like athletic at all. Uh, it's because I work out consistently. I eat what I say I'm going to eat, right? I, I'm more productive at work. I have a better relationship with my, with my kid and with my family because I follow through, but I didn't know how. So part of it is an information advantage, right? Well, that's what I'd spent five years writing this book. I know it. Now you can get the book and know the knowledge. Yep. I wish that was enough. I wish it was enough. And I used to think it was enough. And that's actually what I'm really frustrated with is that, you know, I do these calls with folks. Anybody can call me on my website, book 15 minutes. If they've read my books, if they have any questions, I do this every single week. And it's, it's, it's very different. You know, I get a lot of people who call and say, oh, it changed my life. And, you know, here's how much better my life is. And I have a question for you, but every once in a while, I'll get a call, maybe like one out of every four calls. Somebody will call me and say, I read your book and it didn't work. I say, oh, wow. You know, tell me what, what happened? Well, um, here's the thing. I'm, I'm still distracted. Okay, great. Well, what did you do? Did you, did you try this technique? Do you remember this from the book? Did you try it? No. Well, what about that? Did you try, you know, did you try time boxing your schedule? Did you make a plan for your internal triggers? Did you hack back the external triggers? Did you prevent distraction wow. with packs? We start going over the techniques. <clears throat> no, I didn't do any of that. <laughs> what the hell did they do? <laughs> and this happens all the time. It's not just, you know, I used to think it was just my book. And then I have a lot of author friends, you know, I'm friends with James Clear and Mark Mansell people by, by doing a lot of research and saying, Hey, here's, here, you know, I'm handing it to you on a silver platter, right? For 1999 yeah. here, here's my five years of research. Just do what I say in the book. And many people won't do it, no matter what the advice is. They want the information, but they don't want to act upon it. And I mean, look, I've given you a ton, even in this, in this interview, that people can yeah. do right now. 
most won't do diddly about it. And that's what I'm really fascinating with. Why? Why? When we know what to do, uh, how, how is it that we don't take some steps? And I think part of it is that for a lot of people, they don't know where to start. It's too hard. They need it broken down into like bite-sized chunks. And so that's why recently I've been telling people, just do one of these things. Okay, one thing, one thing. How about planning out a weekend afternoon with a time box schedule? How about you know doing one thing from these four parts of the indistractable model, master the internal triggers, make time for traction, hack back external triggers, prevent distraction with packs. When you read the book, you don't have to do everything all at once. You can do small steps. And what you'll find is that when that starts to happen, your sense of agency, your sense of control that we talked about earlier, you start to feel more empowered and you start to do more over time. I think a lot. part of the problem is that people feel like their life is so out of control. Yeah. They have so little agency that they've been beat down to a point where they think, what's the point? Like nothing's going to change. That's and true. if you're at that state, it's, it's almost a hopeless case. You have got to give yourself the agency and the control to know that you can change things. In psychology, we call this an internal locus of control versus an external locus of control. People who have that internal locus of control that believe I can change my life, these are the people who do. Interesting, man. And I think for those people that are, are, are at that place where they feel like there's no hope, I think a simple place to start would be finding time to reflect, just 30 minutes at a time. I think that's super powerful because then it goes back to what you were saying. It almost puts you in the reflective work spot, right? It's like, let's just take time to think quietly. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting, man. All right. Well, or, or even or even small steps. You know, they say like if you if you're trying to declutter your garage, don't say like, oh, I'm gonna declutter my entire home or my entire garage. Say, I'm gonna do this for 15 minutes. Like mm. everybody's got 15 minutes, right? The average American spends four hours a day watching television. Yeah. You don't have, you don't have 15 minutes, right? Like, so if it's take 15 minutes to plan a day, true, right? What might the day, a day living out your values look like? Anybody can do that. We all have that kind of time. Do you do digital calendar or written? Yeah. 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 I, I, uh, I have a tool that, uh, I'll, I'll give you in the show notes, a schedule maker tool, uh, that, that anyone can use. I also like uh, Google calendar. That's what I tend to use. Uh, but you can use a paper calendar. It doesn't really matter. The best tool is the one you use. Yeah, I agree, man. I agree. Well, Nir, thank you so much. We appreciate your time. And everyone, go get the book, Indistractable. It's one of our favorite ones. We'll put all of the notes inside of the podcast here for Success Magazine. And we'll put up some links too. I know you'll send them to us. So we'll do that as well. Thank you, Nir. We appreciate you, buddy. My pleasure, Tristan. Thanks so much. Those are all the brilliant thoughts that we have for you today. If you like what you're hearing, drop us a review or just tell your friends. This has been a success podcast. Head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it.